Listen, we appreciate that. I uh, want to say uh, thank you to our shepherds this morning for all the work that they do here to make this church so special. Our deacons, our ministry leaders, our Bible school teachers, thank you. And a special thank you to our visitors this morning. If you're here visiting with us for the first time or just passing through, we're so excited that you decided to come out and to be with us this morning. We're happy to have you. We're blessed to have you. And we hope and pray that you feel uh, blessed as well for being here. I don't know what brought you out. Maybe you're just passing through or you're possibly checking us out as a new church home. I tell you what, we'd love to have you here. This is a great church. I think you'll uh, meet some really neat people here that can encourage you on your spiritual journey. So for that reason, we would ask that you would do us a favor. In the back of your pew, you'll find a visitor's card. You can take that out and fill it out and pass it in to me or to one of our shepherds, or there's a box in the foyer on your way out this morning that you can place that card into. We'll send you a note. We'll shoot you an email. We'll send you a text message, whatever you prefer. We just want to get you back out here with us because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. So uh, this morning, we are going to continue on in our four-part sermon series entitled New Year, New You. And I know for many of you, you have had in your mind to start something new this year. And I can tell by the numbers in our Bible classes uh, during uh, Sunday mornings at 9.30. I appreciate everyone who came out for Bible class this morning. If you're searching for a filet mignon or a nice juicy steak or something to feast on spiritually, you got to come out to the Bible classes on Sunday morning. We get deep, and some of y'all are looking starving and skinny, so you need, to, you need to come on out to the Bible classes in the morning, and you'll be fed in a tremendous way. And then when you come... To hear the sermon, that's like dessert. At least I hope so, anyway. So we want you guys to come on out to Bible class. If you hadn't uh, been able to attend, I guarantee you'll, you'll be blessed. But like I said, New Year, New You is the sermon series. We are on part three now of uh, the series. So in week number one, we talked about how and why it's important to set goals in faith. As the new year has started, we're well into it now. All of us, no doubt, had resolutions and goals that we wanted to set and accomplish. And we said in order to accomplish those goals, they have to be set in faith and designed to give God the glory. And if you have those two principles in mind when setting goals, uh, you'll definitely be blessed. Part two, which was last week, we talked about what it takes to change. Because sometimes when you start off on this new journey of setting goals and you want to accomplish your task, there are some bumps in the road. It gets a little difficult. Things happen. And last week we talked about what you need, some tools uh, that can help you when it comes to actually sticking to the change that you want to see in accomplishing your goals. In week three, today, finally, the title of the message this morning is, What You See is What You Get. What you see is what you get. Last week I saw the Dallas Cowboys losing to the Green Bay Packers. Amen. What you see is what you get. Today our text is actually going to come from Numbers chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bibles, get your, get your Old Testaments ready, and we're going to look at Numbers chapter 14 as we consider this idea or this concept of what you see is what you get. This first slide, Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 through 20, is a text that is really interesting. And before we get there, real quick, I just want to 
set the stage of, of what's going on here. Uh, Moses had delivered the people, the children of Israel, out of bondage in, in Egypt through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. They had been walking around the wilderness, going to various towns and cities in the desert, if you will. God was with them in the form of a cloud and journeyed with them. God made a promise long before to the forefathers that one day you're going to inherit the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be great. So when we pick up in Numbers chapter 13, we see God finally saying to Moses and the children of Israel, it's time for you to take possession of the land flowing with milk and honey. You finally get to go to the promised land. But before you go to the promised land, I need you to do a couple of things, Moses. And this is what God said to Moses. And here's Moses' response to the people and what Moses wanted the people to do to prepare to enter into the land. He says here, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see, underline, what you see is what you get, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring, some, bring back some of the fruit of the land. So this was Moses' message to the children of Israel prior to them going into and uh, taking over the promised land. He said, I want you to go and see what the land is like. So he had a cohort of spies, if you will, a band of brothers go over to see what Canaan was like. And here's what they said, which was really interesting in Numbers chapter 13, if you scoot down just a little bit in verses 32 and 33, they come back with this report, these these band of brothers, these spies, after looking at the land, and this is what they said to Moses. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. The land we explored will swallow up any who go to live there. All the people we saw, what you see is what you get. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. In some translations of your Bible, it may say Nephilim, Carl, right? Nephilim, giants. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them, And that's what we look like to them. So after exploring this promised land, this land that was given to them as an inheritance, Moses said, you go go tell me what it's like. And you know what they said? What we see are huge problems in the way. What we see is a huge problem. We see huge people and we can't take over that place. There is no goal to reach and to take over that promised land. We can't. You can't see it. What you see is what you get. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm coaching a girls' basketball team, by the way, and uh, uh, the girls that I have range from ages 8 to 10. 
Um, so many of them are, are very short, and then some of them are tall. They're all in different spaces. and There's a vast difference between an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. It's, it's really interesting. So I'm coaching this girl's basketball team, and my team's name is Team Storm, right? So we had a game uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were playing Team Sun, and we were undefeated. We were 2-0, and right? So we're thinking we're big stuff. So as Team Stun walks into the gymnasium, Alayla elbows me and she says, Dad, look at how huge those girls are. And the rest of the girls were sitting next to Alayla and all the girls went, look at how huge they are. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? They really are huge. They're, They're really big, you know. So in our mind, we had this angst before we even began the competition because what we saw were giants that were going to destroy us in the basketball game. So we got out there and we started playing, and yes, we did get destroyed, Um, but don't worry about that. (laughs) The point is, what the girls saw that day were were other girls that were really huge, and, and they saw a problem that stood in the way, and when they saw that, immediately in their mind, they said, you know what, we can't, there's no way we can win. There's no way that we can accomplish this goal, this task, because these girls are too big. I wonder if that's how we feel when it comes to our problems sometimes, or when it comes to the goals that we're setting, or things that we want to accomplish. We look at them and we say, that's too much, that's too big, that's too hard to handle. And because we see that with our eyes, it comes into our mind and we say, you know what, we just, we just can't overcome that. We can't deal with that. What you see is what you get, church. And in this text, I love it because there's some comedy here. It says, we felt small and powerless like, like grasshoppers. I mean, you just hear the angst in their voice and the worry. But guess what? What's really interesting as we look at the next uh, passage, which is found in verse number 30, is, is prior to their interpretation of what they saw, Caleb had something else to say. So we're stepping back just a little bit, looking at a previous verse And look at what what Caleb said. Caleb said in verse number 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So Caleb first said that, and then you saw the response of the previous verse of, of what the spy said. Caleb said, you know, we got this. What you see is what you get, church. Caleb said, we can certainly do it. And why could he say that with confidence? Because he saw all the things that God had already done in their lives. Parted the Red Sea. Took them out of captivity. Led them through trouble, waters, if you will. Fed them with quail and manna. And in Caleb's mind, he's saying, what is there out there that God can't do? What's out there that God can't do in my life if I just believe that he knew it? I've seen the power. And guess what, church? That's the same mentality and mindset that we should have. We know we serve a great, glorious, powerful, magnificent God. He can help us accomplish any goals or get over any hangups or hiccups that we have in our lives. But the question is, do we really believe that? Or are we like the children of Israel and say, you know what? Those problems are too big. They're too huge. There's nothing we can do about it. Caleb saw something else. You know, I see this same situation in churches all over the place. Yeah, I'm going to get on my soapbox. I can do that because I'm a preacher, amen. (laughs) I see that situation. You know, 
The church has a mission of seeking and saving the lost. That's the mission. And sometimes what we have, we have conflicting mindsets and mentalities in the church. What you see is what you get. There's some people in the church, when they look around at the world and they look at what needs to be done, they see problems everywhere. We can't get this ministry started because of this. We can't do this because of that. We can't move forward because of this. This preacher, this song, this, there's problems everywhere, and that's all we see. But then there are a few people in the church that say, you know what? I see something different. I see that God can do an amazing work here. And he can do something that our minds can't even imagine if we just believe. Because what you see, church, is what you get. So the question I have for you this morning is, what do you see? What does our church see? Do we see giants? Or do we see the power of God helping us to overcome whatever we're trying to accomplish? John chapter 11 and verse number 40. Remember, church, what you see is what you get. John chapter 11 is a very interesting account of this guy by the name of Lazarus. We're going to look at verse number 40, but real quick, I just want to tell you the story of Lazarus. If you hadn't heard it before, maybe uh, you heard it a while back and you just don't remember. There was a guy by the name of Lazarus who was sick, so sick, in fact, that he was to the point of death. It was a very bad illness. The Bible doesn't say what kind of sickness he had, didn't say what was going on with him. We don't know his age. We don't know, but we do know that his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were highly concerned about their brother and were saddened about his, his condition. Somehow, over the course of time, Jesus heard the news about Lazarus. So Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick. So sick, in fact, again, he was sick to the point of death. And what's interesting is if you read through chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus knew that he was sick, but Jesus decided to stay where he was in the town that he was for an additional two days. So it tells me that Jesus knew the condition, he saw the problem, but Jesus wasn't in a rush. In fact, he just took two more days to kind of hang out in the town and do ministry there. And then he decided to take his time and move on over to go see about Lazarus. You know what that communicates to me? It communicates that God is not in a rush to help us solve our problems. <laughs> you know that? God's not really in a rush. He looks at a problem and says, oh, yeah, you know, I'll get to that. And you know what we're doing? Ah, we need some help now. I can't, we got to fix, Lord, help me. You've been there before. You've been praying. I can't over, I can't fix this. And we're saying, God, where are you? You know, we have goals that we are trying to set and goals that we want to accomplish and we want to get there. And we know we need God's help, but he just doesn't seem to show up right when we need him. And we're, we're, we're in this place of uncertainty and pain and hardship and difficulty. God's not in a rush to solve your problem. Why? Because he can handle it. He can do it. And you know why he's not in a rush? Because in his space of not rushing, he's teaching you a lesson. He's teaching me a lesson. He was teaching Martha and Mary a lesson. He was teaching the disciples a lesson. He said, I'm not rushing to solve it because I want you to learn something. And then we would say, well, what is it, Lord, that you wanted them to learn? What is it that you want us to learn? The message that he wants us to know is 
or wants us to learn is to, to grow in faith and to learn how to trust him more. That's why he's not in a rush. But he knows exactly what's going on. It's just a challenge to see if you're going to trust, if you're going to have faith in him, if you're really going to believe him and believe in his power. So as the story continues on, Jesus says something very interesting to the disciples. He said, you know what? Lazarus is not going to die because of his sickness. And everybody there was thinking, what? What? He's sick to the point of death? And Jesus is saying he's not going to die because of his sickness. So I wonder if that gave them a sense of relief. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus said it, so it's okay that he's not going to die from this, from this ailment. But then what's interesting, if you open up there, uh, Jesus goes back to his disciples and then says, you know what, Lazarus, he actually did die. <laughs> Just think about the humor of that situation. It's tough. Jesus said he's not going to die because of the sickness. And then he goes, eh, well, old Lazarus, he's just gone. He died. And the disciples are thinking, what? You just said he wasn't going to die, but then he did die. So they said in their mind, you know what, Jesus, when he says death, the proper interpretation, the hermeneutic, if you think about the exegesis of it, maybe he's talking about a sleep. Maybe Lazarus is just taking a nap. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's eschatologically. He's thinking about the end times. Maybe it's something that we don't understand. And then Jesus said, no, let me tell you. Let me make it clear to you. Lazarus is dead, dead. Not like asleep, but he's dead, dead. And then it's interesting. You come up to the last part of that verse. And then uh, I think it was Thomas that said, you know what? Let's all go die with him then. He still kind of didn't really understand what Jesus was doing. There was a sense of confusion and we... Continue on in the story. Jesus calls for Martha and calls for Mary. And Mary and Martha said what to Jesus? If he had been here, my brother Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. So they put the blame definitely on Jesus. God, it's your fault. How come you haven't answered my prayer? How come you hadn't helped me kick this habit? I don't understand, Lord. It seems like you're not there. So Jesus calls him and he goes into the tomb, and Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And the question is, well, Jesus, why did you do all that? I think Jesus was setting up this crescendo effect to get everybody's attention to show forth what God could do if you just have a little bit of faith and trust in him. So all these people are around, they're at the tomb, and then we get to verse number 40, and it says this, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What you see is what you get. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The people were in a hopeless situation. And Jesus understood that the power of God is going to manifest itself soon. If, you, if the people just believe so... What you see is what you get. We know the end result of the story. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and they beheld the power, the glory, the, 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 the wisdom, the strength of God. And it was amazing. And Jesus even said to Lazarus, go ahead and take off those grave clothes while you're at it. Just, just take them off and go on about your business. That's what God can do with our situations, our problems. That's what he can do with our goals that we're trying to accomplish. He, he has enough power to help us accomplish and overcome and get through because he is El Shaddai. John chapter 3, verse number 3. I'm almost done here, church. 
in order to see the power of God working in your life, listen to this. If you don't get anything I'm saying this morning, church, get this. In order to see the power of God working in your life, you must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In order to see the power of God working in your life, you must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean by that? John chapter 3, in verse number 3, Jesus had an encounter with this guy named Nicodemus, a ruler, authority within the Jewish community, and Jesus goes up to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus rather, goes up to Jesus and said, I can tell that you're a teacher because of the miracles you're doing. It's amazing. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus was this. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You don't really comprehend, you can't fully comprehend or understand how God can move and work in your life unless you are born again. What does this born again concept mean? It means giving your life to the Lord through repentance and baptism. Jesus here is talking about repentance and baptism. And maybe there's someone here this morning that hasn't taken that step. You haven't repented of your sins, confessed Jesus the Lord, and said, you haven't been baptized. And the question I have for you is why? If you want to see the power of God working in your life, you must be baptized. You have to. And then when you go through that process, you can see God really at work. You can see the kingdom of God because what you see is what you get. Now let's conclude by going back to Numbers chapter 14. You see, I didn't tell you the whole story of what happened in Numbers chapter 14. So, again, in review, the spies went to go spy out the land. What they saw is giants. Caleb said, I think that we can overcome, we can defeat these people because of the power of God. So there was a situation. So the question is, well, what happened? What ended up happening? What, what did they do? In Numbers chapter 14, the scripture uh, says something really neat here. It says, Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes in sorrow and said, we underline that, we saw the land ourselves, and we didn't see giants. We didn't see the issues. We didn't see the problems. What we saw was very good. If we obey the Lord, he will surely give us that land rich with milk and honey, so don't rebel. We have no reason to be afraid of the people who live there. The Lord is on our side. And they won't stand a chance against us. Woo! How about you guys? When I read that text and it gives me goose bumps. So what is it that we can't accomplish that we can't do with the Lord on our side? Individually and collectively as, as a church, there's nothing that we can't accomplish with the Lord on our side. The question is, what are we seeing? What are we seeing? What are we looking at? So in conclusion, as we kind of close out this text and... Uh, Caleb saw the power of God and believed that they could take the land. The rest of the spies didn't. So you know what God did because of their disobedience? He said, because of your disobedience, guess what? You're not going to be able to inherit this promised land. As a matter of fact, all of you who are here now are going to die in the desert. That's what's going to happen because you didn't believe and didn't trust. I see a lot of dying churches. Because they don't believe and don't trust. He said, that generation of people, you're not going to the promised land. They all died in the desert because of lack of faith. 
And again, I see a lot of churches dying because of lack of faith. Guess what happened to the spies? They were put to death because they had the wrong vision. They saw the wrong thing. And then they had the audacity to try to go up and take the land anyway. So they went up to the land flowing of milk and honey. They went up to Canaan and tried to, and tried to fight the giants there. You know what the Bible says? They whooped them back and forth, up and down, and totally whooped them. And they're going, what, what happened? <laughs> and you know what the Bible says? The only two people that were able to go into the promised land were who? Joshua and Caleb. Because what you see is what you get. So this morning, church, I don't know what you see. I, I don't know kind of what, what you're going through in life or what goals you're trying to accomplish. I don't know what kind of uh, issues you're trying to overcome in your life. I, I, I don't know what you're going through. I know you have some goal. I know you're trying to get somewhere because that's the condition of, of all of humanity. We're trying to better ourselves. The question I have for you is what do you see? What do you see? Do you see problems that you just can't overcome? Do you see giants everywhere and you see uh, negative situations? Do you see uh, problems everywhere you go? Or do you see a situation and you say, you know what, with the power of God, we, we can do this. We can overcome. We can get through this. Because what you see is what you get. So this morning, by way of invitation, maybe there's someone here who is falling off the wagon, if you will, with your relationship, your faith. Uh, with God, and you're in need of restoration, and you need to change your vision. This invitation is for you. You can come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. God will restore you, and when you look out into the world, you won't see huge giants. You'll see situations that, through the power of God, can just fall down and move out of the way, but I tell you what, you'll never be able to see that glory or comprehend that if you're not a Christian. If you hadn't repented of your sins and confessed the Lord and Savior and been baptized, this is a foreign concept to you. You won't get it. And that's why we're extending this invitation, this opportunity for you to become a Christian today. We've got a baptistry ready. And it looks warm this morning because I see the condensation. So that's a good thing. That's a, very, that's a very good thing. We'll baptize you today. You can be added to the body and you'll be able to see the glory of the Lord. And as a matter of fact, what's so neat is the Bible says the glory of the Lord will be in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing a song of invitation?